Good morning. It's good to have you. Good to see you. Um, we have a lot to cover, and I'm already looking at the clock, so I'm 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 a little nervous about this. But I really I'm not really nervous about that. We're going to go long, okay? I'm just going to tell you right up front, okay? Uh, I will do my best to move it along, but um, uh, I want to finish chapter five today. Eager to get to First Timothy and what God has to say to us there, but I'm eager to share with you today what he's put on my heart for today. So 1 Peter 5 is where we're going to be. Here's the questions we're going to answer, and we're going to ask two questions that we're going to answer. And they're very close. The answer is the same for both. The first question is, how do I lead my family well in these difficult times? The second question, which we're going to actually answer first, is how do we lead our church family well in these difficult times? Okay, and that's specifically spoken to pastors and elders. Okay, and he'll he uses the word elders in the passage, but he describes all the things that pastors and elders and overseers and bishops do. All those are interchangeable in the Bible, in the New Testament. All those are interchangeable. Okay, so we're gonna I'm gonna spend a chunk of time on the first four verses talking to us about how to lead, how we lead our church well, okay? So I'm not just talking to the pastors and elders of our church, but they're kind of in the crosshairs, can't get around that. But also talking to the future ones, and I'm talking to everyone else because you all are the ones who put them in there, in that place. You're the ones who select your leaders, and you're the ones who, who hold them accountable. If you're a member of Grace Christian Fellowship, that's your, that's your responsibility, okay? Well, how do you do that? This is gonna give you some sense of the criteria. Okay, so um, one thing I need to check is, am I, going, am I mirroring through yet? Okay, I should be good. Okay, when it's time, it's fine. All right, I need to start off with um, uh, something unexpected happened last night. I was, you ever, you ever talk to somebody and they, they share a dream and, and they've got like all this meaning in the dream and, and it's very crystal clear to them and they tell this amazing dream and you're like, whoa, I've never, I've never had a dream like that where it had all this meaning until and, and last night. I don't do dreams, right? I'm not, I mean, I don't mean I don't do I dream the weird dreams that most people dream after last night's pizza, right? But this dream was different. And I'm not going to say it came from the Lord because I don't know, okay? I'm just going to be straight with you. But it sure feels like it. So let me just share it with you and you can decide. How about that? So um, I'm in, uh, I'm at church at a different church, my old church, where I was a youth pastor. I've gone back after a long period of time to visit. And we're coming out of the worship service, and, and the campus looks nothing like any church I've ever been a part of. So it's just kind of weird. There's just like buildings scattered all over the place. And people are gathering around, welcoming me back and saying, hey, and hey, it's, been, it's good to see you after a long time. And it feels really good. People are you know, giving me hugs, and hey, it's great to see you. And, and one person says, hey, why don't you come to our Sunday school class? We had those at that church. We have, come to our Sunday school class and just share what's on your heart. We'd love to have you. I said, I'd love to do that. And so then everybody breaks up and goes to their classes, and I'm like, where's that class? So then I start walking throughout the whole campus looking for that class. And I spend 55 of the 60 minutes of that class looking for the class. But I find it, and it's right where I started. Okay, it, I was at the class, and I didn't know I was at the class, and I walked all over campus, and I came back, and I landed there. So I went in. And, and, but the whole time I'm wandering around, I'm going, what am I going to say? I'm only going to have a few minutes now. What am I going to say? And, and, and it was one of those dreams where I wasn't like so sound asleep that I wasn't also thinking a little bit. Okay? It was almost like I knew, I was thinking outside the dream going, what am I going to say that's going to matter? 
And so I, and then boom, God just drops it right in there. And he's like, this isn't anything new, but it might be to this church because you haven't been to that church. I mean, the church I'm at in the dream, not you guys. It won't be new to you, but to them it might be. And it was basically this, this phrase, teach them to obey all I've commanded you. And that would be Jesus saying that. I'm like, yeah, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's what I shared with them. And, and then that just kept repeating. That dream just kept repeating. I've not had dreams loop in my head before. That's kind of weird. And then I went to sleep. So I wake up, and this is the test for me. If it's a, you know, if it's a, legit, if it's a dream from God or anything close, you're going to remember it because everybody remembers those dreams. I never remember dreams, so I know, you know, I remembered it very well. And I was like, okay, this is weird. So I'm driving to church and I'm praying, God, what do you want me to do with this? Am I supposed to say anything about this? Do I talk about, I mean, this is out of character for me. And uh, I felt impressed to share the dream because, and this was the key for me, it had to connect with the message I'd already prepared. So the question I asked you, or the questions that we're wrestling with is how do we lead our family and our church family well in these difficult times? And the answer in the passage is to shepherd the flock, whether the flock is your family or your church family, okay? And how do you do that? You teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So then, after the dream, I didn't think of this during the dream, as I'm driving here, I thought, well, that wandering piece, what's that about? And then it just, it just occurred to me, well, Israel wandered for 40 years for two reasons, at least. One is they didn't believe God's word that they could go in and take the promised land. And second, they just flat out disobeyed him. So then I'm going, so are we needing to hear that we need to teach each other to obey the commands of Christ because we're not doing that? I don't know. That's, maybe that's the question for us, each one of us. Am I teaching others to obey the commands of Christ? So as we walk through this passage, maybe have that in the back of your mind. And if it doesn't do anything for you, it was just a dream. You know, it's last night's burrito. Don't worry about it. Okay, so... Um, I'm not going to worry about it, but I am going to teach and preach. Okay, so uh, we're in 1 Peter 5. Um, I'm hoping it'll be on the screen. Am I doing something wrong, or are you just waiting? You're just waiting. Okay, great. I love it. They're in control. They got it going on back there. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, this is always the risk of using the iPad, is it can be a distraction, and if it is, I'm going to just quit using it. But I think I can do it today. Here we go. All right, so let's roll. All right, so Peter is writing, remember, to chosen people, God's chosen people, and now that's Christians, not just Israel, okay, we're adopted in, exiles, he calls them elect exiles in the province of Galatia, in the provinces of Galatia, okay, and so he says, to the elders, that's where he starts, and this is the end of the chapter, it almost doesn't feel like it belongs in First Peter until you look at the whole context, and then you realize, oh yeah, this fits right in there, because if Christians are struggling with persecution, then the elders are having to figure out how to lead the church through that season. And we know from history, they didn't have this benefit, but we know from history that as bad as the persecution was here, it gets worse, not better, until 300 years pass. So this is around A.D. 65 when he writes this letter, okay? Um, it'll be around three, little early 300s when Constantine will will pronounce Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. All in between, there are times of persecution, and it, it ebbs and flows, but there's persecution throughout the empire. So to the elders among you, 
Okay? Again, he's writing to Christians in the province of Galatia. So there's lots of cities in Galatia. That's modern-day Turkey. Lots of cities in Galatia. And so all of those, many of those cities have Christian churches, have uh, house churches scattered throughout, and each city has a network of those. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. I would have expected him to say apostle because he is an apostle. Apostle with a capital A. There's only 13 of those. The 12 disciples minus Jesus. Ah, the 12 disciples minus Judas plus Matthias, and then they add Paul in later. Okay? So that's the 12 plus 1. Those are capital A apostles. There are no more of those. Those are a one and done because they saw Jesus resurrected. They were chosen to be that by Jesus, and they were taught by Jesus how to do that. Okay? Anyone else that calls himself an apostle, it's a little a apostle, if that's even legit. I think it is, but some people don't like that. And uh, that's fine. I think of them as missionaries. The word apostle means sent one. Every one of you is a Christian, and Scripture teaches this. All of us are apostles in the sense of being sent, sent to make disciples. So we can't get our hair up too much about this. Um, we're, there, there are apostles amongst us. All right, so, but he doesn't go there and, and use the big uh, authority hammer. I'm an apostle. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I don't know, I'm not only an apostle over elders, I'm one of you. And I understand what it means to shepherd the flock because I sat under the chief shepherd in real life, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, okay? And as a witness, so he calls himself a fellow elder and he also calls himself a witness of Christ. What is he a witness of? Two things. Number one, Christ's sufferings, that's the cross. And then he says, who will also share in the glory, that's number two, okay? Now, we don't know what he's referring to here for sure. He could have been referring to the resurrection if, well, because he saw Jesus resurrected, okay? We don't know if he saw the cross. We don't know if he was there. John was there. We don't really have anything that tells us that Peter was there. So he probably didn't see the sufferings there, but he would have seen the way Jesus was treating leading up to the cross, treated leading up to the cross. He would have seen resurrected Jesus. We have accounts of that. He also could be referring to the time when he, James, and John went up on the mountain with Peter, the mount we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus transfigured and turned bright white and all of that, and that was certainly some of his glory on display. And then anytime Jesus did anything that displayed an attribute of God, anytime he did a miracle, anytime he blessed somebody in any specific way that showed the character of God, that's glory, okay? Some of you, when you walked in this building, someone smiled and greeted you, and you just felt this wasn't just a, a shallow thing. This was genuine. This is from the heart. That's the glory of God on display, okay? It's something as small and simple as a smile, and it's something as grandiose as, you know, think of the biggest miracles that God has done and everything in between. And we're all called to shine for him with the glory of God. He's put his spirit in us so we can do that. So, um, so sharing the glory. So we have the sufferings and the glory. And this is, this is, the, this is a, uh, the, the true grace or the grace of truth that keeps showing up in 1 Peter is that these two are related. Glory is, is we experience some of that glory like I just described now. But most of that glory is yet to come. Most of that glory is in the hereafter. Most of that glory is the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? And in between here and there, in between here and the end of the narrow way, it ends in life, that is life, eternal and abundant, there's suffering. Okay? Most of the suffering he's referring to in the book of, in this letter, 1 Peter, most of that is referred to when we suffer because we've shared or shared our faith or we've exhibited faith in such a way that people know, oh, you're one of those 
whatever they call you, Christians, or you're one of those Jesus freaks, or you're, ho- you're, you're a holy person, or whatever. And that sometimes they mean it demeaning, and sometimes they mean it genuinely. But when people know where you stand, that either causes people to, to love or hate what they see, okay? All right, so then he gets into, and, and this is the glory to be revealed. He's specifically looking ahead. Now, be shepherds of the flock. Now, when we start here in verses 2, 3, and 4, this is going to finish out this section on the how do we lead our church elders, as our church elders, our leaders of our church, how do we, how do we lead a church well in these broken, difficult times? He's going to give us some, several ways to do that, okay? So this is specifically, I want you to think in terms of pastors and elders, and I'm going to use those two words, even though overseers and, and bishops are also part of that in some more denominational settings. We're non-denominational, so we kind of make up our, our names as we see. No, we, we use names we see in Scripture. And, and anytime you see shepherd, that's another way of saying pastoring. And then elder is used a lot in the New Testament, Okay. Some translations will translate those as overseer in certain places, and I'll explain in here why all of those show up right here. Bishop is episkopos, and then overseer is, is, is wrapped into that word, and then elder, and it was just pres, pres, where we get the word Presbyterian. So we get Episcopals, Presbyterians, and then pastors, um, which is you know more like um, a, a church like ours, and, and all these are, are there to describe the point leaders of your church, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into why they're, um, why they're men until we get into 1 Timothy, where it gets a little more into that, um, that, that gender piece. But at, at Grace Christian Fellowship, we teach because we believe that by our conviction of Scripture is that, um, that your elders and your pastors are, um, are male, qualified men, not all men, qualified men, and that would be in the context where they're leading other men. There are other positions where women could, could pastor, shepherd, that I think would be fine, but they wouldn't necessarily be over men. First Peter speaks to that. Um, we'll get into that when we get closer to there, when we get into that. Here he gives us, here's what I need you to do, leaders. Okay? So this is, if you're one of these, this is what you're to be doing. If you're not one of these, this is what you should be calling your leaders to do and praying for them to be able to do. Okay? First we see, be shepherds of God's flock. Okay? So this is imagery, metaphor, okay, shepherd. But Jesus uses this to describe himself as the good shepherd in John, and, and his followers are his flock, okay? Now, there's a lot of reasons, and I won't get into it. There's whole books written on why that imagery is used and what it means, and it's not always really endearing because I don't love being called a sheep because sheep stink. I mean, if you've ever been around them, you know they stink, and they're not very smart, and so I'm not, I, I'm not personally saying that you stink, and I'm per- certainly not saying you're not very smart, okay? Um, but there's a lot of parallels when we talk about spiritually compared to God, right? It's like the ant trying to understand the internet. It's just not easy, okay? Um, and the shepherding is lead, feed, and protect, okay? And I use that language a lot when I talk about what a shepherd does, lead, feed, and protect, Okay? You lead, he leads them, and you can look at Psalm 23 and see this, right? Uh, he leads them beside still waters. He leads them to green pastures beside still waters so they can eat and drink good, lush, healthy, clean, organic food, okay? And water, right? Clean and all that. And he protects them from the wolves. And he protects them from the ditches. Some of you all have seen that video, uh, YouTube video of the sheep. The shepherd finally gets the sheep out of the ditch, and the sheep goes boing, 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 back into the same ditch. I'm like, that's me, <laughs> right? And, um, and elders are under shepherds, 
Pastors are under shepherds. Okay, what does that mean? It means that they are sheep, just like the rest of us, that God has, has given a role to say, I want you to do some shepherding stuff for me. Okay? And, and a good shepherd, a good pastor, a good elder smells like sheep. Okay? One, because he is one. And two, because he's hanging with them. He's been with them. He, he's getting to know them. And that's in another place where it's really important that we remember that shepherds, pastors, elders, are supposed to get, they're supposed to know the condition of their flock. That means you have to be around them. And one of the ways you do that is you look at what you see when you are around them. And he gets into that. So be shepherds under the flock. That is under your care. So how do you know who your flock is? I think this is a question a lot of people push back on. Okay, People say, like, I don't do membership. Okay, I don't do church membership. I don't see it in the Bible. And I'm going, okay. Um, I've been there. I've been that guy. Um, I'm not there now because I believe that it's all over the New Testament. Um, and this is one example. How do you know who your flock is? Okay, if you look at this passages where it talks about Jesus talking about if, you, if one of your sheep leaves, leave the 99, that means he knows exactly how many sheep he has. Okay, and, and even if one's acting like he doesn't belong or doesn't want to be there, he still goes after them to rescue them and bring them back. Because sometimes we have people who call themselves in the flock and they're not yet. They're just hanging out with those who are because they don't really understand the gospel. That was me for 18 years. Well, not 18, well, most of my 18 years until I came to Christ. I had to leave home and leave my home church to find Jesus. Isn't that strange? I had to go to a secular university to find Jesus. Oh my goodness. Thank God for Christian friends. So um, under your care is your local congregation, okay? All right, I, I could go down. I'm going to wait and save that for, for, for 1 Timothy to get into that more. Watching over them. This word watching over, this is the word episkopos is the Greek word. It's where we get episcopal. Scope is the root word, it's just where we, which is obviously something we use with telescope and microscope. Well, what do you do with those? You look to study something in great detail. You look to zoom in on something that is super hard to see with the naked eye. You're studying it, not to find flaws, but to understand what's real what's happening, what's there. And so uh, an elder, overseer, pastor, they're supposed to know the condition of their flock. They should be watching them in real life, okay? Now, I'm not like sitting in the corner going like this, checking everybody out as they're walking. I don't mean that. I mean, you just interact with your people. You spend time with them. It's like when I have decisions with who to spend time with, who gets the priority? Anyone in my church. It gets the nod over anyone that's not in my church. If they have a need, I'm, I need to be there or I need to make sure somebody from our church is there. If I'm getting a phone call and I don't have time for a lot of phone calls, if it's somebody I hardly know that isn't part of this church, they're going to get sent a voicemail, okay? But if you're a member of this church, you're more likely to get me to pick up. Why? Because you're under my watchful care. I have a responsibility, okay? And that's true for our leaders, right? And, and, that's, and obviously, Every one of us is exercising judgment in who we spend time with and how much time we spend with them. But as, as, a, as a pastor, whether I'm paid or not, that's a responsibility that I carry. Obviously, if I'm paid, I have more time to do that, more bandwidth. Ken and I are the two paid of our five elders in our church. Chris, Lance, and, and, and Brian are not paid. In fact, they pay to do this, so to speak. You know, It's just that they love what God's doing, and they're investing in this church um, and, and that's, that's just where God has called them and how God's called them, okay? But we all sit at the same table, and we all have an equal voice, and I mean that. 
okay? And when you're choosing, so um, this church hired Ken and I to be pastors, but you didn't hire us to be elders. And we distinguish that, which is not something that's in the Bible. This is why, this is church polity, right? We hire two people. So like, I'll just give you an example. When they hired me 17 years ago, 18, almost 18 years ago now, when, they, when this church hired me, I was not an elder yet. And elders are the ones who are ultimately responsible for the church, and they're ultimately answerable to the church. So I had to be a pastor for at least six months before I could become an elder because they don't know me that well, right? Some of you have to wait six months before you can serve in children's ministry after you join. Why? Because we want to know you before we throw you in with our kids, okay? I realize that's that's longer than most people do that. We want to protect the flock. And one way you do that is you spend time with each other and get to know people, okay? And that's important now. Um, So you can hire somebody to do a job, but that doesn't necessarily mean they are elder material, okay? So it takes time. And that's watching them. All right, so watching over them, again, not to find flaws, but to just know what's, what are their needs and what's their story. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Now, I found, I found this interesting. Um, one of the reasons why this might have been the case, think about the early church. This was written, again, around A.D. 65. Jesus is resurrected around A.D. 30. So the church globally is only 35 years old. That means the local churches are younger than that. That means new believers are on all of those churches. So how many qualified men are you going to find? And even if you find a man that you say is qualified prescription, per scripture, prescript, I heard somebody say that, per scripture, is he going to feel qualified? Is he going to be, I'll do it if I have to. No, we don't want that. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. He wants you to be willing, but he actually wants you to be eager. But willing works, okay, because sometimes there aren't very many qualified. This is why some churches have women elders. This is one of the reasons. It's logistically necessary. In the mission field, this happens, okay? And you know what? If I'm in the mission field and I can't find a qualified man, I'm not putting anybody in that spot. I'm not just putting anybody there, okay? And, and this, is, this is requires discernment, and I believe God is, if God's involved, he's going to guide you in the way you should go. So I'm not going to go, absolutely, there's never a situation where you're not going to have an exception. I think God has got his ways and his patterns, and I'm going to walk in those whenever I can, but I make exceptions. I don't know if God does. I think he does. As God wants you to be, here's another criteria, not pursuing dishonest gain, okay? Now, um, you could be pursuing dishonest gain in money, obviously, monetarily, okay? Um, every job I've taken since I was an engineer has been a pay cut. So um, in one sense, I have not, that has not been my motivation, okay? But that doesn't mean it couldn't be, right? We're all, we all have the human heart, so we're all capable of being greedy, okay? Poor people can be greedy just as much as rich people can. It's just, it just looks different. Okay, so pursuing a dishonest gain can also be for reputation. Like, I want to do this so that people will look up to me. Okay, you don't do it for that reason. All right, this is why it matters who you choose. You have to watch the way, you should be watching them so that you know when you choose and select them that they are people you feel good about serving under. Because you know what? They're going to have authority over you if you select them. That's part of membership, is you're saying, I'm willing to submit to the membership of this church. If, in fact, what you're saying is, if I get off the track in my faith, I want 
leadership or somebody in my church that has credibility to call me out. And I want them to do it lovingly and as discreetly as possible. Okay, and that's the pattern of church discipline in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Start very discreetly, let the offense be as small as it was, and, and let's deal with it and move on. Repentance is all it takes, and let's move on. Okay, but you're giving them permission to escalate if you're unwilling. Okay, how do you know who, who, who is uh, under that authority unless you join a church? Carrie stood up here and said, I want to identify with this church because I believe in what God's doing here, and I trust their leaders. Okay? And so as a result, she's putting herself under that authority so that if she needs to, somebody will call her out if necessary. Now, we don't have like um, binoculars and we're checking on people and we're following them around and doing all that crazy stuff. It's, it's, folks, we're just, it, it's got to fall in our lap practically for us to even notice unless we've been around you and we see it. And it's, it's like, this is all motivated by a servant's heart, a shepherd's heart. I care for my sheep. I'm not a hireling, Okay. I'll say this because I believe this. If you didn't pay me, I'd still do this, okay? And I think Ken would say the same thing, all right? And that's because we, we know we're called to do this. We believe in what God is doing. We believe in what God is doing here especially. We love the flock here. And yeah, sheep bite, but you know what? Y'all are pretty good at when you, when you bite still. You know, just tickles a little bit, right? And I bite too because I'm a sheep, okay? So... I, I say this kind of like that because it's kind of weird to sit up here and talk about your authority because I'm that guy, right? I'm one of the five. Um, and yet God has laid it out, and we're just trying to do this. This is what this church has started on. The DNA of the beginning of this church in November of 1999 was we want to start a church that doesn't ask the question, what does our denomination do? But open the Bible and say, what does the Bible tell us to do? And so they started a church from scratch with that question. And after one year, they started elders because they saw it in the Bible. And they didn't just see one elder, one super pastor. No, no. They saw a plurality, a team of elders that worked together with an equal voice, coming together and working in unity. Because if they can't work in unity, then how do we expect you guys to be unified? Okay? Sometimes it's a challenge. Sometimes it takes longer than we want it to. But it's worth it. And that's why we do that. That's our pattern. It's not written down anywhere. But we don't, I don't know of any decisions we've ever made as elders that hasn't been unanimous. All right, so then he continues, not pursuing dishonest gay, but eager to serve, not lording it over those uh, who are entrusted to you. We're not, we're not walking around telling people what to do. And if we do, you just ignore us because that's not how we operate. And then this word entrusted, we saw this last week. You remember um, uh, when I said that when somebody goes off on a trip, Back in the days of Peter, they didn't have banks like we do. So if you have their life savings in your hut, house, whatever you're living in, you're not going to just leave it because it's not secure. So you're going to entrust it to someone you trust. Okay? God is entrusting you to your leaders. Okay? And by the way, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ a little bit longer because he's going to go, okay, now let's talk about how you did that elder thing. And let me judge you there too. Let me judge you. Oh, let's see how you, let me, let me talk to you about how you preached and taught. I'm going to judge you there too. See, your leaders are held to that. We're, we're accountable to God for those things. We're accountable to you. We're accountable to him. And there's our wives. Okay. But being examples to the flock. Okay. And we have the key, the chief example in Jesus Christ, right? Who suffered and then glory. 
And there's that pattern that he's going to keep coming back. He's been doing it all the way through. Glory awaits sufferings between here and there. Being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, there's Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We'll all get a crown, okay? Um, what I see in Revelation when it says the 24 elders with their crowns, what do they do with the crowns? They throw them at the feet of Jesus. That's, I mean, I'm glad I'm going to have one to throw. Um, some people get into heaven by the skin of their teeth, okay? Um, and Scripture says that, okay? I, I'm, I'm happy to get in by the skin of my teeth, but if I get any rewards, I'll have something to throw at the feet of Jesus because he's worthy. Then he shifts, okay? He shifts from elders to everyone. And this is that spiritual parenting, the spiritual shepherding, the question teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's where this begins, in the same way. So all of this stuff that you, you heard me just talk about, and you're going, well, that's good. Those pastors and elders, yeah, they should do that. Now you need to look in the mirror and go, you too, me too. You got to do this. This is you. This is what you're called to. And he, he specifically starts off with the younger. Okay, students? Okay, they're starting to look up. So look up, you who are younger, what does it say? Submit yourselves to your elders. Now, I don't know for sure if this means anyone older than you or if it's still talking about elders in the church. I kind of think it's that. But it certainly applies. Elders in the church, when, when we have baby dedications and we dedicate children to the Lord, one of the things we pray and say to everyone in the room is, you're supposed to help them pastor, shepherd these children. As a family, we act as a larger family, okay? And that's everything from their kids running out the front door and you're grabbing the kid by the arm so they don't run into the parking lot to you speak to them when they're disrespectful in the Sunday school room and you say, that's not okay, and as they get older, you're praying for them when they're in college and they're taking those exams and they're writing those papers and you're checking in on them when they're not here, but they're there. Have you found a church yet? Have you found a, a, a campus ministry yet where you can be, right? This is, we're all, we say we're family, but this is how we act and behave like family, okay? Younger, submit yourselves to your elders is saying, um, yeah, God has put leaders in your life. God has put people in your life who have authority over you. Respect them appreciate them. They're not always going to do it great, but he says that. And then he quickly moves on to all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. This is like getting dressed in the morning, okay? It's like suiting up with the full armor of God. You put your clothes on before you walk out the door. That's the order, right? And spiritually, that's the order too. We put on the full armor of God. You put on your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your belt of truth that holds it all together. You've got your shield of faith, your sword of the spirit, and you're praying through your wartime walkie-talkie with General Jesus. You are ready for battle. I might have missed one, but I think that's most of them. Okay? We suit up. And one of the things we put on is this robe of humility, robe of righteousness, but we clothe ourselves in humility, which means that I don't think it's all about me and the world doesn't revolve around me and I not only need to not act like it revolves around me, but I actually need to believe it doesn't. Maybe that's why I started with young people because as young people, we kind of tend to drift that way. Plus the men and women in the room. Okay, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And then he tells us why. And this is huge. This, this right here is actually Proverbs 3.34. James quotes it in James 4.6. Also, when he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, shows favor to the humble. This is a principle. You should have this memorized, especially if you think you struggle with pride. 
And if you're human, you do. God opposes pride. God opposes humility. He opposes pride, arrogance, hubris. He hates it. And he will work against it actively. Okay? There's that story of the, one of the Herods, and, he, and, he, and people start calling him a god. You're shining. You know, he's wearing all this jewelry, and the light sun was hitting, and he looked like a sun god. And they were like, you look like a god. And he just took it in. He didn't say no. He didn't say, no, 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 I'm nothing like a god. He absorbed it, and God struck him down. You think he was making a point? And we're not that overt, but I don't know how you are at work because I'm not there. I don't know how you act around your coworkers. I don't know how you are as a boss, as a large and in charge individual. I don't know how you act with your kids when you're home and it's just you and the kids. But God sees all of that. And he's telling us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He shows favor to those who humble themselves. Okay? Now, this is really important if you have an area of your life in which you're trying to change. Okay? Or need to change. Okay? Let's say you say, I've got this area I've identified. I know God has convicted me over this. I need to change. Okay? That's a good start. You've identified what God is saying to you, but what are you going to do about it? This is where the humility comes. This is where you go from just repenting but believing that God wants you to truly change. And the only way you're going to see a different trajectory in your life is if you actually change. And you're not going to change unless you actually believe God has to do that in you. You've got to cooperate. But God has to do the change. God is the only one with the power to change you and me to, from self-centered, self-absorbed people to a child of God that acts and behaves like he is. I know that's hard to swallow, but this is the principle. And I just can't escape it. Humble yourselves as if we needed re things repeated. Oh, yeah, we do. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, there's the power of God. That was supposed to be a lightning bolt. That was pretty bad. God's mighty hand, there's the power of God. God is able. And then so that he may lift you up. I'll come back to that. Then he says, cast all your anxiety, worries, cares on him because he cares for you. Let's do a little heart for that one, okay? God cares and God is able. I've been saying it a lot lately because it's just kind of ringing true in my life. If I don't remember anything else, I need to remember God cares because God is good and God is able because God is great, okay? There's that children's blessing again. God is great. God is good. That's, that'll preach, okay? He's saying it right here in these two verses, okay? He's given us something to do. We're to humble ourselves and we're to cast our anxiety on him, if you hang on to your anxiety you're, and worry, you're just focusing your thoughts on your problems. You're meditating. You're meditating. Focus thoughts on the problem. You need to meditate on Scripture. You need to meditate on the words of Christ. You need to meditate on what is true, not what is wrong. And one of the reasons we struggle with repetitive anxieties is because we won't deal with it like we should. We just talk to people about, I'm, all, I'm a worry ward. I'm always worried. I know I shouldn't do that. It's just terrible. No, it's sin. It's more than terrible. Okay? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you can say, Lord, help me with my worry, and snap, it's gone. That isn't worry. It doesn't usually work that way. It's a process because God is teaching us to trust him, and rarely do we just trust him. This is why he doesn't solve our problems like that. It's a, it's a process. Sanctification takes time. But if you want to change, then you engage for incremental progress. And yes, you're going to fail. Let's just keep failing in the right direction. 
okay? You can be on the narrow way and have a failure. It's, it, it can happen. The question isn't where you are. The question is where you're headed, okay? Because we're not all going to be in the same spot on the narrow way. That's okay. I'm looking at the clock. I, I'm paying attention. Okay, the last part is much quicker, all right? So here we go. Um, he's going to just kind of bullet a lot of different things that we need to do. This is, again, along the lines of obeying the commands of Christ. Be alert and sober-minded, okay? This isn't just talking about don't be drunk. This is being thoughtful about what's happening around you. Your enemy, we do have an enemy, okay? And there is a real devil, and one of the reasons we don't worry about him is we don't believe he's real, and he is real, and he's powerful. No, he's probably not picking on you specifically, but he is working in our world through the places where he gets the most leverage. He's smart, he's cunning, he's a deceiver, and he's a liar. And he's like a roaring lion, which is interesting. Usually we think that Jesus is the Lion of Judah because Scripture does that over and over and over. But for whatever reason, like a roaring lion. I wonder, I wonder if Peter's thinking about the lions in the Colosseum and the people that are thrown in there to be chewed up for entertainment. And, and then later the Christians would be that. And let me read a quote to you by Ignatius. I think the Catholic Church calls him Saint Ignatius. Ignatius is, um, he, this is around 140, A.D. 140. So this is about 75 years after this. And this is what he writes. He's an elder pastor of whatever, he's either an elder pastor of a church and or over several churches. He's one of those church fathers you hear people talk about. He said this, anticipating his death in the Roman Colosseum, he says this, let me be given to the wild beasts, for through them I can attain unto God. I am God's wheat. I am ground by the teeth of wild beasts, that I may be found pure bread. Come fire and cross and grapplings with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, hacking of limbs, crushings of my whole body. Come cruel tortures of the devil to assail me. Only be it mine to attain unto Jesus Christ. He understands. He understood. He experienced it. And he was willing to go there. And all he had to do was denounce Christ. Oh, no, I don't really believe. Yeah, I'll worship the Roman emperor. No problem. Oh, you're free to go. And your family's going to be fine too. Didn't do that. As in hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the first century. Yeah, he's looking for someone to devour. He is a lion, but he is a lion on a leash. Okay? He doesn't do anything God doesn't permit. And we can have a long conversation over the fact that God permits any of it, but it's not near what he would, what would happen if he didn't have a leash. And he does. And then he tells us this. Not only are we to be, be alert and of sober mind, we're to resist him. We're, resist, we're part of a resistance, Christian resistance. Standing firm in the faith, okay? Now, we, we talked a lot about spiritual warfare today. It wasn't by plan. It's just this what happened. But you know what? We are in a war, okay? Jesus was not a pacifist, though he was a prince, the prince of peace. He understood that the war we fight is spiritual, on our knees, and we suit up with the armor of God. We're not on the offensive, by the way, because he already won. So we stand. We don't have to charge. We stand firm. Most of the armor is fine for defense. You use the sword to parry. You use the shield to extinguish the darts of, of the evil one. And we wear all the other to protect us. And we face the enemy, and most of that armor is for the front. And it protects everything that matters. We're on the, we have the high ground. We stand firm in it. 
confidently knowing that if Jesus is with us, we cannot lose it. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, this is to encourage him. So he's saying, resist, standing firm. Why? Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There is more cross action there. And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, there's the glory, after you have suffered a little while, there's the suffering between here and there, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He is going to give you and I everything we need to stand firm in the moment. Okay? How do we know? Because he's faithful. The reason you and I don't feel always that confident is because we're not suiting up every day. We're not preparing. We're not doing our part. And so, of course, we're going to lack that confidence. To him be power and for, forever and ever, that's like a, a, like a doxology. And then he finishes up with this, with the help of Silas. Some translations say Silvanus, that's his Greek name. Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. That's key, faithful brother, means he trusts him. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. That there is glory, but there's suffering between here and there, and I will be with you in the midst of that so that you will stand firm. Stand fast in it, he says again. And then he says these weird words right here. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Okay? Who is she? She is a local, she is the church. The church in Babylon? No. Babylon was pretty much destroyed at this point in the history. This is symbolic of Rome, okay, which we can see this, you see this in Revelation as well. Babylon is like, it's used throughout scripture. Remember, they were exiled into Babylon, okay, and so Babylon is used even before then as just a code for this world's kingdom of darkness. That's what that's code for, and Rome was that with the emperor worship and uh, I could go on, but I'll, I'll stop there. So Babylon, so the church in Rome, which is where Peter was probably writing from when he wrote this, together, chosen together with you, we're all in this together, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. This is John Mark, refer, you see him in the book of Acts, but you also see his writing in the book of Mark where he writes the gospel of Peter, essentially. Uh, we call it the gospel of Mark because he wrote it, but he was heavily influenced by Peter's experiences. That's the church fathers and, and church historians telling us that. Greet, greet another with a kiss of love. Be hospitable, okay? Not raunchy. We don't need any orgies in the church lobby. Thank you very much, okay? You, I think you understand that that's um, a, a godly love. And then we have peace to all of you. Key condition in Christ. So I started with the dream. It was weird. And I end with um, this, the question that we started with. How do you lead your family and your church family well during these difficult times? And I think the answer is teach them to obey the commands of Christ. Teaching them to obey the commands of Christ. That means when I see Jesus telling me to do something, modeling for me to do something, um, then I need to, that needs to be a practice in my life. And I need to teach others to do the same thing. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so much easier to just stand here and say these things but to live them, I can't do that. I cannot be consistently what you're calling me to be apart from your spirit in me, working supernaturally to empower me 
to not only do those things, but to want to do those things and to do them consistently and to build into my life the spiritual disciplines that help me do them consistently. I need to train to remain and abide in Christ. That takes effort. Lord, I wonder how many of us are not making the effort, not only for ourselves, but for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, coworkers, friends, extended family. God, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. And if we're doing it, I pray that you would affirm what we're doing. Obviously, we can do it better, and we want to. Lord, I pray that you would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable over this truth. Lord, help us to remember that you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. May we remember that and clothe ourselves with humility today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.